Father, you alone are worthy for us to praise and worship and adore you. We thank you for your goodness and kindness and mercy that you extend to us each and every day. Father, the very breath that we breathe comes from you. The lungs that we breathe with, Father, were created by you. The air, Father, was created by you. Father, we thank you that you're the creator of all things. And we choose to worship you, Father. We thank you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for sending him, Father. Thank you, Father, for desiring for us to be with you for all eternity. Lord, we choose to do that. We choose to lay our lives down. Father, we choose to follow you. Father, we thank you. You alone are worthy to be praised and worshipped. You alone, Father, are worthy for us to lay down our lives, to lift up our hands, and to declare your goodness. Thank you. We thank you for the presence of your Spirit. spirit into our hearts. Father, we're so thankful that you desire good things for our life. You desire for us, for us to be well and to be full of joy. Thank you. You are great and greatly to be praised. Father, so we thank you for all of these things. We thank you for the presence of your spirit. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, in all of these things, we give you praise and honor and thanksgiving for the Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? Amen. You know, it's just so wonderful to be in his presence. Amen. Um, and <clears throat> it's just good to, um, you know, it's a good uh, act of faith. You know, someone once said that praise and worship is one of the highest types of faith because um, you've spent all your time thinking about him 
instead of thinking about us. Amen. Uh, and, um, you know, the nice thing about that is sometimes there's things we have to deal with in life. But if you can recognize that in the midst of that praise and worship, you weren't thinking about all those things. You weren't worrying about them. You weren't fretting about them. And nothing had changed yet. Uh, but, you know, faith has the ability to, to acknowledge that there's things going on, but not worry or fret about any of them. Amen. And so praise God. Well, we want to welcome uh, Pastor Edwin Anderson here with us today. And uh, let's give him a warm Dayton, Tennessee welcome. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, the presence of the Lord is here. Amen. Amen. If you can't sense the presence of God in a service like this, you need, to, you need to be in His presence more, I guess. Praise the Lord. The glory of the Lord is so good. Hallelujah. It's so good to be here. You know, Pastor uh, Chris, the song you sang a few minutes ago about uh, started out by saying, What a Savior a great Savior, and, and think the next verse, the next line says something about wonderful. I've never heard that song before. But one thing I, I say almost every time I get up to preach is, oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Savior. Oh, what a, what a wonderful Savior, deliverer. Amen. Everything we need, glory to God. What a Savior. Hallelujah. And to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood, glory to God, raised us up, gave us eternal life. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for being a church that, that understands the presence of God because it's not this way everywhere. And, but, but when you're in his presence, you long for it, don't you? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's so good to be, to be with you today and uh, to be with your pastors, Pastor Chip and, and uh, Pastor Chris. Uh, you know, we've known uh, this couple for uh, several years. I don't know how many years, but quite a few years now. And we, and we met at, at uh, Randall Greer Ministries, his brother uh, Greer's meetings. And uh, we've just fallen in love with this couple. And, and, and now they've just recently met my wife, though, because she didn't come to a lot of these meetings because I would always take my son, and he's our associate pastor and our worship leader. And so she, would, she felt like she had to stay home and kind of mind the ship, you know. And uh, so she's only been to a few of these, and so they've just really met her. But uh, kindred spirits, we just, we just thank God for them, and our, God has knit our heart together. Praise the Lord. And uh, so it's good to be with you. A little bit about myself. Uh, pastor's already told you this morning that we, we started pastoring our church, church uh, in May. Well, the first of June, really, will be 43 years ago. And uh, we were right out of Raymond Bible Training Center. We had just been out a week when we met with the Bible study group that eventually became our church. And uh, so we didn't have a lot of time off. And, and, and that was good for me because nobody knew who I was and I was a Rhema graduate and nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, you know, we got in touch with this Bible study and they invited us to come. And I said, well, and I looked at my calendar and I saw I didn't have any other engagements, so I agreed to go. And uh, God's done something really wonderful uh, with, with the work that he's raised up. So 
We're grateful. Like I said, we, uh, we've been doing this 43 years. Uh, my wife and I both come from uh, church backgrounds. I, I was a, how many of you are Pentecostals? You came from a Pentecostal background. Anybody? Yeah, praise the Lord. Well, my wife and I both came from Pentecostal backgrounds. Uh, we were members of the Church of God, uh, the Cleveland, Tennessee Church of God. And so we were raised in, in the things of God. And then as teenagers, we backslid and got away from the Lord, you know, and for, for about four, five, six, maybe longer than that, years, you know. And uh, we finally got back into fellowship with the Lord at the, at the uh, old, worn-out age of 20. And, uh, but we had drifted far away from the Lord. But we got back into fellowship with the Lord, and God began to work in our lives. And I'm telling you, uh, you know, I was a, I was a uh, uh, consummate backslider. I mean, I, I, I was like a professional backslider. Every time a, re, a revival came, you know, I'd, I felt like I'd get saved again, you know, and then I'd backslide. And, and, uh, and I'd just gone completely, just turned my back on God. And uh, when I came back to the Lord, uh, something I knew, something had come into me that my life would be different. I didn't know what it was, but I knew something. It wasn't like the other times when I was younger. I don't know what it was, but I just, at the time, but I just knew this is different. And what it was, it was the life of God had finally, you know, had an impact on me. And uh, I went back to church, went back to the church that I'd been raised in. And uh, I've been there just a few weeks, and somebody gave me a book by Kenneth Hagin. And when I read that book, I said, That's, this is what's going to change my life. And God has really done that. He's just, he's, uh, he's been marvelous in our lives. We're so blessed. So it's good to be here today. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn, uh, if you would, into three passages. And uh, the worship today was so rewarding for me. I'm not just saying that. I, I really, uh, just very precious to me. And uh, I want to turn my timer on because I'm a pastor and I, Pastor Chip and I do the same thing. We teach by series and I just teach and teach and I unplug, you know, in one service and the next service Sunday I'll come back and just pick it up where I left off, you know. Well, the Lord, after, after 43, nearly 43 years of ministry, the Lord has called us to kind of uh, turn some things over at the church to, uh, to our, our son and uh, they're going to pastor the church, and we're going to do some traveling. But I have to learn how to do this in a church where I've got one or two services. And I haven't, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know how to do it. So that's what this timer is for. So I'll know. And, it, and, it's, and it's not set uh, for the full time. It's set to give me a warning. And then so I'll, so I'll kind of judge where I am, you know, how far I've gotten so I know what to, how to go forward. So bear with me. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. In, have you found 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know? He's asking a question. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And then another passage is, is similar to this, and this is in the 6th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Verse 19 says, Do you not know that, you are the, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then the next passage is in 2 Corinthians, and it's chapter 6. And verse 16 says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Now, uh, I'm going to share some things today that, that I'm sure 
Uh, most of you, if not all of you, know some of these basic fundamental things, but I'm going I'm to lay a foundation that I believe the Lord is going to take us somewhere that will bring some fresh understanding and, and really build our faith uh, on, on the concept of, of being the temple of God. We know in the Old Testament, if you know your Bible, you know in the Old Testament that uh, God's presence was restricted to the tabernacle in the beginning in Moses' tabernacle and then in Solomon's temple. And uh, the word temple in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word simply means a house, but not just an ordinary house. It, it's a word for a palatial, extraordinarily palatial home or a mansion. We call it a mansion. And that Hebrew word was used, before it was used for Solomon's temple, it was used for the temple of the temples of the other gods of the, of the nations around. You remember when Samson pulled down the pillars, you know, in the temple of the Philistines? That word temple, there's the same word that's used for the temple of God. And it simply means a palatial large house, and it come to refer to uh, a place of worship, and people came to worship their gods. And so it's kind of interesting today that, that if we make note that it means a house, a great house. Uh, in the New Testament, now we know in the Old Testament, God's presence, His manifested presence, He's present everywhere, but His manifested presence was restricted, first of all, to that tabernacle, and then, and then after that, to uh, the, uh, Solomon's temple. Now we come over in the, Old, in the New Testament, we know that God's plan was never to live in a house made by hands. And uh, he said, you know, the heavens and, and, and the earth is my footstool, and you're going to build me a house? How can you build me a house to live in? God always intended to live inside of his people. Those, uh, the, the temple and the tabernacle before that, God honored that because it was a type of things to come. And, but, but again, he, his ultimate design and plan was always to live in us. So we know now that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then the next thing, and this is really what I want to kind of draw your attention to today and focus on, is you, you and I as individuals, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But collectively, the church is the temple of God and the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit dwells in the church. That's true of, in the universal church, but it's especially true in the local church because that's where people assemble. And God's, so God's presence is His Holy Spirit dwells in the local church. And that's true of every church that is a church. I'm not talking about phony churches. You know, some people put church out there and they're cults. They're not even churches. But it doesn't matter if it's what denomination it is or what their doctrine is. If it's a, if it's a body of born-again believers that have been called together by God, whether they're spirit-filled or not, uh, the doctrines might differ from ours, but... If, if they're a church, God's spirit dwells collectively in that body. And I want to read a couple of, uh, well, several verses. Uh, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3 again. I don't want to point something out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul begins in verse 5, uh, because there was, some, there was some confusion and uh, strife and... and uh, uh, that kind of thing going on in the church at Corinth. And he was correcting that. And, and they were focusing on the ministers. Some were saying, I'm of Paul. And other was saying, I'm a disciple of Paulus and different ones. He said in verse 5, But who, is, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. Now notice this. He said, I planted. 
So he's talking about putting seed in the ground. He's talking about uh, the, the illustration is of a garden where you are a field, a cultivated field that you plant. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For you are God, we are God's fellow workers, talking about himself and Apollos and other ministers. He said, we are God's fellow workers. Now notice, you are God's field. I think the, I read out of the New King James, I think the Older King James says, you are God's husbandry. I think that's what, that's, that's what that means. You are God's cultivated field. So in verses 5 through 9, the first part of verse 9, he's depicting the church with the imagery of a garden or a field that someone sows and plants and waters and raises crops. In the middle of verse 9, he switches that imagery completely. He first of all says, you are God's field, and then he said, you are God's building. So he changes the concept here in the middle of verse 9. Then he, then he goes on with this building concept. He said, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds, notice that word builds again, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, so as, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple? You could say, do you not know that you are the building? Remember the Old Testament, <clears throat> the word for, for the temple was the building. It was also called the house of God. And he said, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells in you? Uh, go over with me and let's look at a couple of other uh, uh, examples of this. Go to, with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy 3, and let's look at verse number 15. He said, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now notice he calls the church the house of God. Now, when I was growing up as a little boy, you know, I, I was raised in, in, in a Pentecostal church. My grandmother was a Pentecostal. She was first generation. My parents, second generation. I was a third generation, you know, and all of my cousins and friends. And, uh, we, you know, I wasn't particularly a good little boy. You know, I was rambunctious, and I played, and I got in trouble a lot. And in our church, every parent called down everybody else's kids but their own, you know. And uh, <laughs> it used to make my mama so mad because my best friend, you know, he, was, he and I were always in trouble, and his parents would come out and correct me, but wouldn't correct him, and that wouldn't make my parents very happy, but, but uh, we were always instructed, behave yourself in the house of God. You need to behave yourself in the house of the Lord, and I always thought the building was the house of the Lord. That's not what he's, you know, that's not what he's talking about here, that you may know how to conduct yourself, the old, older King James, I think, says behave, so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So here we see again the concept of the house. Go with me then over to Hebrews 
the third chapter. <clears throat> I love this passage. It's just so rich to me. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So the tabernacle was Moses' house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. Moses' or, 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 uh, you know, Moses's tabernacle was, was designed for things that would be spoken after. In other words, it was a type of something. Uh, verse 6 says, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. It's really important that we as Christians understand that we are God's house. Amen. We are God's house, and Jesus... Uh, is over this house. Jesus built this house and he owns this house. And how we conduct ourselves in the house of the Lord in our assembling time together is, matters because this isn't our house. Now you have a wonderful, uh, beautiful building that you've just redesigned and I saw it when Reverend Greer was here. Was it last, last year? Two years ago. And uh, it didn't look like this. And it's just as beautiful today. And thank God we can, we can build beautiful buildings. But you know that the real house isn't, isn't uh, there's not a title deed down at the city hall uh, or, you know, in the county. The, Jesus owns this house. And so it's really important how we conduct ourselves. Amen? Hallelujah. So collectively, now as the church, uh, I, I want to read this first of all from the Amplified Bible. Go back to to uh, 1 Corinthians 3. And I'm, I'm guessing, almost certain that your pastor has taught already you well along this line. I love the amplified version of 1 Corinthians 3.16. It says, Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church of Corinth, are God's temple, His sanctuary, and that God's Spirit has His permanent dwelling in you, to be at home in you? Then the amplified adds this, collectively as a church... And also individually. Actually, verse 16, 316 isn't talking about the individual believer. It's talking about the collective church, the body. Chapter 6 says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of God? And we are to glorify God, glorify God in our bodies, which is the Lord's. So chapter 6, he's talking about our physical bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here he's talking about this building that he just spent several verses describing. The, the building he's talking about here is the body, the collective body, this local body. This local body, your church, is a, is a whew, temple of the Holy Ghost. That's, that's amazing, and, it, and, it's, and it's marvelous that God chose to dwell among us. Now, you know, he goes with us everywhere he goes because, because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But like Pastor uh, said this morning, when we assemble together collectively like this, that, that corporate anointing is stronger. You can sense his presence a whole lot more most very often when you're in a setting like this because he dwells among us. 
That's, that's not, it's not happening outdoors. It's not happening down at the, down at the, at the, at the ballpark. It's not, it's not happening at Walmart. It, it, what we experienced this morning only happens when we gather in his, in his presence like this. And it's, it's a marvelous thing. So he said here, do you not know that and understand that you, the whole church of Corinth, are God's temple, his sanctuary, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you? Well, praise the Lord. Uh, go with me over to Ephesians. I'm still laying a foundation here, but uh, I like foundations. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Praise the Lord. And let's look at verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore, you, know, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's a very similar expression. The house of God. The, the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's going to be a significant word as we go further. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now in these two verses, he's talking about the universal church, which is made up of all believers and all churches. And then in verse 22, he's talking about the local church. I want to read this in the Canterbury's translation. He brings this out. In verse 22, it says, And in him, not only others, talking about other churches, because when he's talking about not only others are the house of God, that couldn't be talking about anybody else but Christians. Nobody else but the church would have God dwelling in them. So he said, and in him not only others, so that would be other churches, but you also. The church right there that he was addressing, the church at Ephesus. So he says that, that God dwells in not only other churches, but in you also. And for what purpose? To, we, being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God has a special plan, and he's especially interested in dwelling in us as a body. And to, and to make His presence known to us is very important. In the Old Testament, uh, God would demonstrate His glory among His people. When His people got into one accord, when the people approached God according to His, uh, his directed way, His established way to worship, and they come into His presence... Uh, you know, when, when Moses dedicated the, the tabernacle, it, the last chapter of Exodus, all of the things that, that were to be built and put in the tabernacle, Moses, it says in the 34th chapter that he finally, when he assembled, oh, the 40th chapter, I think, when he assembled everything and put it in order, when, in other words, when the, temp, when the tabernacle was complete, the glory of God came in. The house of the Lord was filled. The tabernacle was filled with the glory of the Lord. And it says that Moses couldn't even enter it. He could not physically go into that because of the magnitude of God's presence. Now, Solomon, when he, when he built his temple again, when, when everything was put in order, everything that God had directed according to the plan of God, according to what God dictated, 
Everything had to be just so. It had to be right. And when the singers became uh, and, and, and musicians became one and the people became one in worshiping the Lord, so there was unity. It says the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Apparently, the priests were already in the temple when this happened. When now, when Moses on the, was on the outside of his tabernacle, and he couldn't get in. Well, apparently they were already in the temple, but they couldn't stand. They physically fell down on the floor because they couldn't stand because of the glory of the Lord. Well, uh, God has always willed to demonstrate His glory among His people. Now, I was raised up, maybe you were too, I heard this all the time in church. God does not share His glory with anyone. And there's a couple of verses, you know, that, that talk about that. He said, I will, share, I will not share my glory with anyone. If you go back and look at, at those verses that, that talk about that, if you look at the context, he's talking about sharing his glory with false gods, with the other gods. That's what's being discussed. And he said, I will not share my glory with others. But when it comes to his own people... Jesus said, the glory, Father, that you've given me, I will give them. God does share his glory among his people. And, and God wants us to experience his glory. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always the same kind of service. You know, sometimes it's just like this morning. I, I sense the glory of the Lord here. You don't always see it, but you can sense it. And the glory of the Lord is, is something that all, all believers for sure absolutely long for this glory. I have a conviction that every man, saved or unsaved, longs to experience the glory of God because man was created to live in the glory of the Lord. That was the glory. That was what, when Adam and Eve were created, that was why they didn't even know they didn't have clothes on. They were so aware of God's presence. His presence was in, in manifestation. They didn't even know they were naked until they sinned. And then, their, and then their loss of the glory of God was their shame. Fallen man uh, today is absent of the presence of God. They, sinners, unbelievers do not have his presence. But I believe that the more our churches are filled with his glory, the more attractive we become to people who aren't saved. People will argue doctrine They'll, they, and they're not, some people are not even saved. They just remember going to church somewhere. And if you start, you know, giving them some uh, particular point of, of truth from the Bible, they'll want to argue that. They're not, they don't even have a, a dog in the, in the hunt. They're not even saved, but they'll argue the doctrine that their grandma taught. Because people are divisive, particularly today in our world, everybody's divided. But I'm telling you what, the glory of the Lord is so important. I believe God wants to, 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 He is building us, and that's what actually this verse is saying in, in Ephesians. In, in verse 22 says, in, you, in whom you also are being built together, being built together, that's, that's something that's a process. This is something that's underway. We are the temple of God. This church, my church, are temples of God. That sounds kind of weird. I don't mean weird. We're the temple of God. Not, we're not kind of any other kind of temples, but we're temples of God. But we're also being built. In a sense, we're still under construction. Number one, because not everybody is yet in, the, in our church that's going to be in our church. Not everybody that's going to be in this church is here yet. 
So God is building his temple by adding to it, but he's also building it in the sense of, of his, his increasing presence in our, in our midst. He said, you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Like the Canterbury says, build up together to make a house wherein God may dwell by the presence of his spirit. Now, we're, built, we're being built together. We're not being built apart. God's not building... You, you don't, and I know you, don't, you, don't, you know not to be confrontational with people because you know, people are going to do what they want. But people who think, well, I can just be a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm saved. And you know, I just, it's just me and Jesus. I have my Bible. I don't need to go to church. They, they couldn't be more wrong because we are not being built apart. We're being built together. And they're missing so much. They're missing instruction. They're missing shepherding. They're missing, missing you know, the fellowship. of belief. They're just missing so much. But the main thing they're missing is the presence of God. They'll never know the presence of God like they'll know it in a local church. And that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I'm building... If you want to be really Christ-like, you know, people say, I just, it's all like, I want to be like Jesus. If you really want to be Christ-like, help him build his church. Because that's what he's doing. And people who aren't involved in building, helping a pastor build a local church, they're not doing what Jesus is doing. Because he's building his church. He's not building uh, just, you know, people to, to have their own thing going on. Well, praise the Lord, that's a different topic, but... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go with me over to 1 Peter. Praise the Lord. And let's look at chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. We talk some more about this house. Start in verse number 4. 1 Peter 2, 4. Coming to him as to a living stone... Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, you know, it goes on to talk about I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. We know that. that the church is built, and it even says this in, in Ephesians where we were, that it's built on the apostles and prophets. Well, it's built on the teachings of the apostles and prophets. Those original foundational apostles and prophets established the teaching of the church. But then it says Jesus Christ is the, is the cornerstone. He's the chief cornerstone. The church, of course, is built on Christ. But it's a spiritual house that he's building. And we thank God for, you know, for... Uh, you know, that people say today, well, we need to get back to the Bible times. You know, people met in homes. I'm so glad people don't come to my house every Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, I, I like going somewhere. I like to have my house as my house, and I like going somewhere. And, and the church, in the, in, the, in the early days of the church, the church did meet in homes, but they didn't just meet in homes. That's a fallacy. The earliest expressions, they met in Solomon's porch. It's part of, the, of Herod's temple. So they came together collectively, like we would say, go to church. 
and they went in in, a, in, a, in another building other than home. The, the people started, the church started meeting in homes because of persecution, one reason, and because in other places, just lack of, of a place to, to, to meet. They didn't have, the church buildings hadn't been established yet. So anyway, you know, uh, uh, today he is building his church, but it's a spiritual house. And he says, you are living stones. I, I, I love the stones, the stonework here and, and outside. It's so beautiful. And, and my wife and I, we were, by the way, this is my wife, Angela. After I got started this morning, I realized I hadn't introduced her and I didn't want to stop. So I'll do it now. Okay. Say everybody say hey to Angela. <laughs> my wife of 53 years in May. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Did I, get, I got that right. I know. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we were driving just on this road. As we were coming to the church, and there was a church on the right-hand side. It's kind of a brown brick, and it's got a, it's, it's a two-story house, and off to the, on the right side of it, it's got like a wing that sits up. It's all glass windows. Beautiful house. And she pointed that house. She said, oh, I love that house. You know, uh, and, and the, the thing I, I'm, I'm thinking about, it's made of stone. It's made of bricks. And... Uh, in, in the Bible in imagery, it's talking, it, the, the, the stones, he's talking about the stones of the temple. Remember when Jesus said, you know, destroy this temple and, and I'm going to raise it up. And, and, uh, and he was talking about the temple of his body. And, uh, and he said, you know, the day is coming when not one of these stones will be left standing upon an, uh, another. And that literally came to pass because, the, because when, when the Romans destroyed the temple, it had so much gold in it, they, they set it on fire and the gold melted and, and ran down in the, between the stones and they had to take every stone apart to get that gold out. So what Jesus said literally came to pass. They took every stone apart to scrape the gold out. Well, uh, we are living stones. We're living stone. That, we need to understand that you and I, all of us individually, are part of this temple. Amen. Amen. And we're, we're, we're not supposed to be dead stones. We're supposed to be, does the King James say lively stone? Hey, how about a little liveliness? Amen. God wants, God, it, it really means living. But I like the way the older King James said lively. You know, we, we, we are living stones. This, this, this building is not made of, of brick and mortar. It's made of recreated men and women like you and I. We're living stones. We're part of this church. We, we make up this church. And, of course, Jesus is the head and, and the, 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 the chief shepherd and the pastor is the under shepherd. And, uh, but, but we also need to be lively. We need to come into church with an understanding of, of what this is. This isn't the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, what's the, some of the clubs, Kiwanis, is that you said? You know, that's not what this is. We're not, we're not, you know, a club. We're the church. Hallelujah. This is living stones. And we are, as stones, we are, Ephesians talks about us being joined together one with another, by what every, by, and, we're, and we have a supply. Every joint brings a supply. Well, in that imagery, in that verse, we're the joints that hold the church together. In the other picture, we're the stones, but it means the same thing. And we all have something to bring when we come to church. 
Now that can be that can ref, be that can refer to your post. You know, if you're an usher or if you teach, you know, children or you're preparing, you know, for the meal we're going to have today, all of those things apply. But more importantly, it applies to the spiritual. We're spiritual stones. The spiritual supply we bring. Amen. Amen. Now, it's not, this is not a heavy teaching to make people, oh, you know, I've got such responsibility. But we should be aware when we come to church that, again, it's... Uh, it's not, just a, it's just not just a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. Well, praise the Lord. There's my first morning. I only have seven of these. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, let me stop this and take a minute. I'm not good at this, really. Praise the Lord. We, uh, when, we, when we assemble, before we get here, we, we should take a little bit of time and pray. You know, uh, because church, church is a gathering of people. And anytime you get, you get people together, it is a social event. And we're social creatures. But there's a higher knowledge and a higher understanding. It's not just a social gathering, it's a spiritual gathering. And we should pray a little bit. And that's not always easy, particularly if you have children. Because I remember when my children were little, you know, just getting to church was... I mean, you want to pull over the car and beat the daylights out of your children. Then you got a, then you got a Sunday school class to teach when you get there. We had a, we had a couple in our church years ago. They were, they were the directors of our youth ministry. And our youth ministry back then met on Sunday mornings. And we had a two-story building. They were in the basement. And uh, I found out after church, they never showed up. The couple, they were the, teaching the youth. They, the youth went down. They didn't tell anybody. They, didn't have anybody. they just stayed down there and goofed <laughs> off, I guess. They did, I found out later... That this, that this couple didn't, they didn't show up. So I called them on the phone that afternoon. They said, well, pastor, we, you know, we got into strife with our kids coming to church, you know, and we just didn't feel like we were qualified to minister. I said, dear Lord, I'm the pastor of the church. If I, if I did that every time I got in trouble, you know, my kids got in trouble, I wouldn't be there half the time. <laughs> so I understand that natural life does interfere, but we should take a few minutes and begin to just get, begin to worship the Lord. And think about we are gathering together in the presence of God. His presence is going to fill us. Amen. Hallelujah. We're a holy priesthood. Do you ever think about yourself as being in the ministry of the priest? We're a holy priesthood. What we do, what we do when we come together on, on, on Sunday and, and midweek or whenever we come together to worship, it, it's a holy work. We're a holy priesthood. Well, what do priests do? They offer up sacrifices. That's what the priest did in the Old Testament. They offered up sacrifices. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. Glory to God. It, it's not a sacrifice to offer up sacrifices. <laughs> it's not a burden is what I mean. It's not a burden. It's, it's a joy to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And they're acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now that's the first thing or the first person who makes our sacrifices acceptable to God is Jesus Christ. We are, everything we do and we praise God, if it, if, if it wasn't for Jesus, none of the people outside the church, if they're, if they're whatever religion they are, if they praise God, you hear people say, you know, praise, praise uh, Allah. Well, God's not listening. They're talking about God, but they don't know Him. They don't. They, they, their word for, for God is, is just the Arabic for our word God. 
They think they're talking about the God of Abraham, but God's not listening because it's not offered up through Jesus Christ. We're the only people when we offer up praise to God that He receives because we're offering up the sacrifice and acceptable to Him through Jesus Christ. The other thing, of course, that makes it acceptable is our unity. Being in one accord. You know the Scriptures because I know you're well taught that, uh, and I've already referred to it in Second Chronicles with the dedication of Solomon's temple. So that when the people became one, to make one sound in praising and worshiping the Lord and the singers and the trumpeters and so forth, they came into one accord. The glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Yeah. And, they, and they weren't even, uh, the priests weren't even, they were standing to minister and they literally fell down. They couldn't even stand up under that glory. I've experienced that before. I've had the glory of God so strong on me that I fell in the floor. And I was in a, 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 one of Brother Hagin's meetings, Holy Ghost meetings in the uh, 90s, I guess. And, and I fell out on the floor. And I've had it happen since then, but not to that magnitude. I couldn't get up. I crawled all over the, the, around the church. And, and the service was over. That was the, the wild thing about it. Church was over. And the glory of God was still so strong. And I wasn't even expecting it. I was wanting to talk to somebody and I was waiting to talk to them. And Marty Blackwelder jumped off the platform. Service, church is over. Ran down and jumped on a chair and then leaped over that to the next chair and laid his hands on somebody. And I was at the end of the pew. It was in Reggie Scarborough's church. I was at the other end. It was a long pew. Probably seated 20 people. I'm at the other end of the pew. I was waiting to talk to Marty and I'm just watching him. What's he doing? And he jumped over there and laid his hands on uh, Mike and Barb Caminetti put his hands both on them and I don't know what happened to them but when he laid hands on them I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm, I'm just an innocent bystander. I met the other of the piano. When he laid hands on him I suddenly got so drunk I couldn't stand up. I fell on the floor and I, it was, I, I ended up crawling up the aisle and it, the church has a sloping floor, you know, to the back. And I literally, you know, crawled it in every, in every uh, few rows. I'd run into somebody I knew. And we'd have a little drunk fest, you know. And then I'd crawl a little bit further and I'd find somebody. Because church was over, but there was still probably, church seated probably, you know, a thousand people on the floor. Maybe more. And there was still maybe a hundred people there. And, and, and so I'd have, have a little drunk fest with somebody. Then I'd crawl. And I finally crawled out into the lobby. And I hit the main. I, was, I managed to get up and push the doors. And I fell out in the lobby. So the glory of God can come on you. It's where you can't even stand up. I, I remember. Can I give you this little side journey here? I remember when I was doing this. And I'd look around. There were people in the auditorium looking at me. As if to say, I don't know if they were thinking this, but this is what I thought they were thinking. This is what they, it looked like they were thinking. It looked like they were thinking, all right, we've had a Holy Ghost service. Church is over. You can stop this now. Like, like, like I was putting on or something. And that just, it was so hilarious to me. It just made me laugh so hard. So the glory, the glory of God is real. And uh, if you go in the book of Acts, we won't look at all, the, all of the passages because you know they're there. There's at least eight different occurrences where it talks about the church being in what it literally says they were in one accord. Or like when, when Paul and Silas were in, the, were in the jail, the midnight hour, they were in one accord. There were just two of them. They were in one accord singing praises to God. What happened? God moved. So there's eight uh, occurrences in the book of Acts 
where people were in one accord and something marvelous happened. Something marvelous always happens when we come in in one accord. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Now, I'm going to say this about being in one accord. Being in unity or in one accord in the local church is more than simply not being in strife or being offended or not being offended. I'm going to say that again. Being in unity or in one accord in the local church is more than simply not being in strife or not being offended. Unity is not defined by the absence of certain negative or divisive things. The condition of being in one accord is not passive. It is much more deliberate and proactive. Being in one accord in the Spirit is characterized by the presence of certain what I call unifying graces. And that would be humility before God, worship of God, hunger for God, receptiveness, yieldedness, submission to God and to one another. Those are, those are what I call unifying graces. When you have these unifying graces at work in a church, it produces one accordness. Being in one accord is not agreeing with everybody. Aren't you glad to hear that? There's, I don't know if Jesus, before Jesus comes, maybe we'll, we will experience everybody agrees with everybody about everything. It's hard for me to imagine. But that's not really important. You can, I've had people leave my church because they didn't agree with one thing. Just one thing. And their families had been raised in church and, they, and, and, and God's presence and God's blessing upon them as, being, as, as a result of being my church was evident. And they left the church over one thing they didn't agree with. The devil took that one thing and magnified it, magnified it, magnified it, magnified it until they just couldn't stay anymore. And I've had that happen more than once. One, this one man, he left because, because people in our church ran. You know, when the Holy Ghost would move, people would run sometimes. It doesn't happen that often, you know, but it happens. And it just would make him so mad. And he, and, and he said, nobody's ever been saved because people ran. My wife said, but people have been healed because people ran. Because we've had that happen. Anyway, he, he left the church because of one thing. Well, you know, don't make that mistake or even five things. <laughs> Because it's not about agreeing with one another. It's about being submitted to God with one another. Wanting God more than anything else. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's see how I'm doing here. In Ephesians, or in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, where we, where we were a few minutes ago, the Amplified Bible says that, Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, will that be the whole church right here in, in this town, but also in this building, this local church? Do you not understand that you, the whole church, Word of Truth Church, are God's tabernacle, God's temple, God's house? And that He wants to have His permanent dwelling in us? Well, He does, but He wants to be at home in us. He wants to be at home in us. Well, what does it mean? For God to be at home in us. Well, think about yourself. Have you ever visited anybody that you felt you were at home? You know what that feels. It doesn't. It, when you don't feel at home, you know that. But when you're truly at home in somebody else's house, you what do you do? Well, you know, you you be yourself. That's what you do, and you take your shoes off. 
You would, if you went to somebody's house and you like you were really welcome, that's the first, that's the first sign that, that you can be yourself is when you feel like the person there really wants you there. I've been in people's houses before and I knew they didn't want me there. Well, I'm not going to take my shoes off and prop my feet up on the coffee table. I do that at home. We have this, it's not a coffee table, it's a big old round ottoman, you know. And uh, I got my shoes off and my socks have holes in them and I just plop my feet up on there, you know. Well, you don't do that in somebody's house unless you feel, but if, it, if, you, if it's a family member, you'll do that. You know, your children's house or your parents' house, takes your shoes off. You know, you don't ask permission if you can go to the bathroom. If you're, if you're in, a, in a house that you don't really go to, you might say, you know, could you excuse me? Can you point me to the bathroom? You just go. My children come to my house. They go to the, to the kitchen. They just get glasses out and go to the refrigerator and help themselves. That's, that's what you do when you're at home. You're, you are yourself. God is, is looking for churches where he can be himself. Amen. Where he can just act like he acts. Not have to act like somebody expects him to act. Well, hallelujah. Glory to God. He wants to manifest himself openly and freely. To manifest his glory. Hallelujah. And uh, like I said, that doesn't, that doesn't always look like the same thing. Thank God our services are varied. His presence doesn't manifest itself in the same way all the time. But uh, like we experienced today, that's what, that, that is what blessed me so much by being, this is my first time uh, being here just among you. I was here when, when Reverend Greer was here, but just with this congregation, you know, sitting under your pastor, uh, it's so rewarding to, to come into a church like this where you sense them. I didn't even know the songs, but I was home. I felt like I was at home because it's the presence of God. Oh, it's, it's precious. And again, it's, you ought to be really thankful for this because it's not that way everywhere. And you see, if God isn't comfortable, if the Holy Spirit isn't at home, if He's not... And, and, and a lot of churches, they sing about Him, but they don't want His presence to be a manifestation. Well, you know what? He will not manifest Himself. Just like I won't take, you won't take your shoes off in somebody's house if you know that you're not really welcome there or they really don't want you to be yourself. Uh, you know, you won't, you won't do that. But God wants to take his shoes off, so to speak. He wants to, he wants to be himself. And, and uh, thank God for a church like this that honors this. Now, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this, with this concept. Just like... Well, let me, let me start with this. There are five representations of the temple in the Bible. Five representations. Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the third one. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the antitype. All the others are types of him. For instance, the, Moses' tabernacle, there's Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's temple, and you could include Herod's temple because, because Jesus talked about it being a type of his body. Uh, so there's the, the tabernacle, the temple, there's the Lord Jesus Christ, there's the individual believer, and there's the church. So that's five representations of the temple of God. Moses' tabernacle, when, uh, when, it was, when everything was put together and it was put in order, the Holy Spirit filled that tabernacle. Now, on, 
and on the outside, it didn't look like anything. On the outside, it was, it was made of badger skin. And I don't really know a whole lot about badgers. I don't think they're very pretty. And I can imagine, there's all these, I don't think they're very big. And they're all stitched together. And the, the whole outside of the tabernacle was covered in badger skin. And you can imagine it probably stank. I don't know. Maybe they salted it down. I don't know. But the point is the, the Bedouin tribes, you know, that, that uh, migrated in those days where the children of Israel were making their passage, you know, towards the, towards the, the promised land and, and even wandered in, in the wilderness, uh, those tribes could have had marauding, you know, uh, uh, terrorists that want to come in, you know, and, and, and confiscate things. If they knew, if they had known what was inside that, that badger skin hut, didn't look like anything on the outside. On the inside, it was pure gold. It was just gold all in there. And it was disguised by this badger skin. Well, that's a type of Christ. Because on the outside, he was a man. And, 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 and uh, Isaiah said he, his, 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 his appearance wasn't anything anybody would look at. But on the inside, he was pure gold. He was yeah. God in the flesh. So, so you had the tabernacle. So these, 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 these five uh, representations of the, of the Spirit of God fall in order. You know that as an individual, that it is God's, God dwells inside you when you're saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside. But we are to go further than that and be filled with the Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit. Having the Holy Spirit in you and being filled with the Holy Spirit is the same thing. I illustrate it like this with my church. The house we live in now that we built uh, four years ago, we don't have a swimming pool, but for many years we had an in-ground swimming pool in our, in our old house. And uh, I'd illustrate it this way. You know, there's only one, one, one type of water in that pool. And it's all the same water. It circulates throughout that entire pool. But I have a deep end and I have a shallow end. And there are things I can do in the deep end that I can't do in the shallow end. It's just, it's the same water, but it's a different experience. Well, in the Holy Spirit, there are different experiences. And, and I will say this, there are things in the, that I can do in the shallow end that I can't do in the deep end that are good too. I like to walk around in my pool. Well, you can't do that in the deep end. You know, the children can't play in the pool in the deep end. So, so there's value in the shallow end and in the deep end. There's value in God's presence in us as being saved, but there's also a different dimension of the Spirit in being filled with the Spirit. So in Moses' uh, tabernacle, it went from having the Spirit to being filled. God's glory filled it. Solomon's temple, it's a type of Christ. It, his presence was there, but then suddenly the glory came in and filled the house of God. The Lord Jesus Christ was born of the Spirit. I mean, in a way that even we aren't. You know, his physical body was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and, and, he, and, and Gabriel said that that uh, precious one that would be born is the Son of God because he was conceived, his body was conceived by the Holy Ghost. He had the Holy Ghost in him. How else did he know who he was at 12 years of age? I'm sure Mary didn't draw, take him aside one day and said, Son, I'm going to tell you something about your past. <laughs> you know, you, uh, by the way, you're God. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't happen. Uh, so how did he find out who he was? 
He found out by the Holy Spirit in him, enlightening him with the Word of God. As he, and he went to the temple and he was 12 years old. He was asking questions and giving answers to questions they didn't have the answers to. How did, how did that happen? He had the Holy Spirit in him. And he had the Word and the Spirit was illuminating the Word and telling him about himself and his, and, and his, and his origin and his mission and who he was. Well, that was wonderful, but even the Lord Jesus Christ had to be filled with the Spirit. He was not Spirit-filled. He was Spirit-indwelt until he went down in Jordan's River and John the Baptist baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Bible says that the heavens opened and, and, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And that's another expression of being filled with the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them and began to speak in tongues and prophesy and, and, and begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So the, the Holy Spirit coming upon a person is a, is a description of being filled with the Spirit. And it says in Luke that, he re, that being filled with the Spirit, He returned in the power of the Spirit. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So Jesus went, on, went from being Spirit-indwelt to being Spirit-filled. All of us as believers, and we, and we teach and preach this, that it's not enough to be born of the Spirit and have the Spirit inside of us, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Well, if in every other, all other four representations of the Spirit, it was important to go from being Spirit-indwelt to, be, to being Spirit-filled, what about the local church? The Holy Spirit dwells in us, but, but it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit in a church, and He's in every church, if it's a true church. It's another thing for that church, that church body, to be filled with the Spirit. And in, your, in our own lives, uh, we're filled with the Spirit and we're refilled with the Spirit. It's not, it's not a static, one-time experience. In the Pentecostal church I grew up in, you know, people would get up and they'd testify on Wednesday night. We had testimony service. I just want to thank the Lord that I was saved. I was sanctified. Back in 1919, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. You couldn't tell it. <laughs> Some of the meanest, most bitter people sometimes were the ones that claimed to have been filled with the Spirit. It made me want to have nothing to do with it. Amen. But anyway, you have to be refilled. That, that, that refreshing of His filling is something that's so important. Well, when we come together as a church, the, the local church can be filled with the Spirit. Amen. And it's not something that just just there. It's something that we... I know, and you probably have done this too, talk about a particular church. What kind of church is that? So and so. Well, it's a Spirit-filled church. What that usually means is that it's a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and there are people there that are filled with the Spirit. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the people being filled with the Spirit. I'm talking about the church being filled with the Spirit. Oh, glory to God. That's what He wants. That's what He wants. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There, and I'll, and I'll, I'll close with this. I, I've said that before, but I really am. There's a, there's a place in the Holy Spirit that I've experienced, and, and, and probably some of you have too. There's a, there's a place in, in the Spirit, in being filled with the Spirit, both personally and collectively as a church, that the Spirit begins to do things and, and we, we, we cross. I think Brother Greer talked about crossing the lick log. 
Was that the, somebody, he, a woman he knew talked about that? Who was that? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. There's something about stepping over from the natural land. Was it the lick log or was it something else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She talked about stepping over, getting in the spirit. She talked about stepping over that lick log, whatever that was. She was talking about stepping over out of the natural into the spirit. There's a place in our services where we can have such a presence of God. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, it is amazing. That we begin to yield to God almost unconsciously. I mean, we, we, it, and if you get to that place, now understand that, that God's not the author of confusion and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You understand that. But you can get over in the spirit to where you don't even really realize that you're being controlled by the Holy Ghost. The first time that happened to me, I was in one of Brother Hagin's meetings in 19, 1983. It was a Holy Spirit seminar on the Rama campus. And in 1983... Uh, how many of you come from the charismatic background? Anybody here know about the charismatic movement? Well, I, you know, I was, I was, when I got back in the Fellowship of the Lord in 1972, the charismatic movement was on, you know, going full force. And, and I loved it. One thing I didn't like, several things I didn't like growing up about Pentecostalism is I didn't like that dancing in the spirit. They called it shouting. Well, to me, to shout is to raise your voice. But when the people danced in the Holy Ghost, they called that shouting. And it disturbed me. Because it was so undignified. And people would jerk and spin around, you know, and, and it embarrassed the daylights out of it. Nobody in my school even knew I went to church. I didn't hang out with church people. I hung out with all the unsaved people. Those were my friends. And I was totally embarrassed that if anybody would find out, I didn't even want people knowing I went to church, let alone a holy roller church. That was like even, because even all the Christian kids laughed at that, you know. So I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't like it. I wasn't interested in it. When I got back in the fellowship of the Lord in 1972, uh, I went back to church. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Still didn't like it. There were, still, there were Pentecostal men in my church. It was the church of God. And this one brother, Ellington, you know, when he would dance, when the, when the Spirit would get moving in church, he'd jump and begin to dance. Just like Brother Hagin talked about, his coattail would stand out like this. He would spin around like a top. He's a little short, fat man. And he would... <laughs> He would, he, would, he would spin around and his coattail would spin. And I remember my, there was a bunch of hippies that went back to this church and got saved. You know? And uh, so we would, after church, we would go out to eat and, and we'd laugh. We'd say, oh, Brother Ellington, he really got blessed tonight. We liked it on Brother Ellington. I still don't want any part of it, but I, I liked it. I had grown enough to where I recognized it was God and it was good for those people that it happened to, but ain't interested, right? <laughs> I was in Brother Hagin's meeting in 1983, and, and Charismatic Revival was on. Brother Hagin hadn't started having Holy Ghost meetings. Nobody in Word of Faith circles danced in the Spirit. Nobody did. All of the dancing was that charismatic little shuffle. You remember that? This is the day. That's all the dancing was going on. Well, this particular night, the whole auditorium, about 1,800 people, is just, it's just praising God. Everybody's worshiping the Lord. It was a great... Uh, Holy Ghost meetings. God's presence was amazing. Everybody's worshiping God, have their hands in the air, and David Ingalls was on the keyboard. He had been leading and singing, and now I think we might have been leading and you know, singing in tongues or something. It was just glorious, and some people were doing that charismatic dance around. I was standing next to a pastor friend of mine, and he had been with me in that, in that church of God, that revival. And I don't know, you know how two brothers is just kind of 
kind of hug each other sideways. I love you, brother, that kind of thing. And we were in church, and it was glorious, and God was moving in the presence of God. And I just put my arm around him, and he put his arm around me, you know, just kind of hugged and didn't even hardly look at each other, you know. And I had a gentle, slight prompting to jump. Nobody was jumping. I'd never jumped before. I'm not talking about something crazy. I'm not talking about jumping. I'm talking about, you know, jumping like this. I had a, just a prompting. I didn't, I didn't even recognize it as a leading of the Spirit. I was just caught up in worshiping God, and I had a, a very slight prompting. That's all it was. That's all I can say it was to jump. I didn't think about it. I didn't analyze it. I just did it. I jumped twice. May, I'm not sure if I jumped the third time or not. I'm still holding on to David, my pastor David. He's a pastor friend of mine. I'm still holding on to him. And either the second or third time, how long does it take? You can time this when, you, when, your feet, when my feet come off the ground, hit the ground. That's like a half a second or a fraction of a second. On that last time, second or third time, when I, when I jumped, I jumped in, in yieldedness to that prompting. In that split second, when my feet hit the ground, I was dancing in the Spirit. I don't ever remember being led to dance in the Spirit. I didn't, it wasn't like something's coming. I feel like I'm supposed to. None. I was just to my, I was just dancing in the, in, and so was David. We were holding in, on to each other sideways and we're kicking and I mean dancing in the Holy Ghost, tearing the place up. God's glory came in and to my sight, the, everything in the auditorium just disappeared. I mean, it was there, obviously. I could, I, it was like a cloud. A cloud actually came up, and it was, I saw it, and like this, and it came up around me, and Dave and I are in that cloud, and we're dancing our heart out. And I'd never wanted to do that. I had never been interested in doing it. That was the last thing I ever thought I'd be doing. And uh, I couldn't see, I could see the back of the chair in front of me. I couldn't see the people, everybody was standing. So I couldn't see the people standing in front of that chair. I could see the back of the chair and about that far around me, and I could see David. Everything else there was, this cloud, was blocked out by this cloud. And suddenly the, the, it was a very loud, sorry, everybody was praising God real loud. You ever walked into an, like a big arena, sports arena or something, and you go out, you know, like a big coliseum, you go out into one of the corridors that circles, you close the door, and all that sound kind of muffles. It was like the, the sound of that, of that auditorium got like it was far away. I, I could hear it, but it was like it was in another room. And we were just in the glory, just dancing in the Holy Ghost. And uh, I don't know how long that happened. I have no idea. But then suddenly it lifted. And we looked at each other, and nobody had seen that in charismatic circles. Pentecostals do, but Pente charismatics didn't do anything about it. People around us, the chairs in front of us were knocked loose. They were ganged together like they were knocked loose and our chairs were knocked back. And people around us were going. <laughs> and we felt so sorry for all those people in that auditorium that had no idea what had actually just happened. What I'm talking about is you can you can, we can come to a place in a, in a church service where we are so focused on God's presence so focused on Him and Him alone. 
And, and, and His presence is so precious that we can respond to the Spirit. Just to not, I didn't even, I, like I said, I didn't analyze it. Am I going to do this or not do this? I just yielded to a very simple, seemed to me, thoughtless, meaningless little prompt. And the next thing I knew, I'm in the glory of the Lord and I can't even see out of this cloud. God wants to, I found out that God does His greatest miracles when we are, when we get, we get so caught up in the Spirit that we're not even aware that we're in the Spirit. I mean, it's just, it's just something just happens and we yield and God does something. I think so often we're in the mental realm and we're right on that threshold a lot of the time. We're just right on that threshold and we don't know how to step in, how to get over into that realm. It's glorious. It's like the time I fell out in the church in that, in that service and crawled up the aisle. People are looking at me like, come on, buddy. You know, church is over. Stop putting on a show. And it was the funniest thing to me. I, I just, it, it, and it kind of, you know, I felt sorry for him. God wants to do great things. He wants to do great things. He wants to take my church and this church and the, and the body of Christ. He wants to take us into his glory where His glory is in manifestation. And we had a youth service. I'll, I'll, I'll second, I'll, my second closing will be with this illustration. <laughs> Third closing. We had a youth service, a, a youth retreat, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Our youth went off just for, on a Thursday night to, to a campground, and they had just a youth retreat. And our youth, and our, that's our high schoolers, and our singles went with them. So we had the singles and the high schoolers. So they went to this campground. It was, what, 50, 60 people, I guess, you know, with counting all the workers. So they went to this campground, and uh, they have a nice facility, you know, for, for services and stuff. So they were in their final service on, on Saturday night. They were going to be in our church Sunday morning because it was nearby. So the last night, the Saturday night service, the, the teenagers and the singles managed to get in such one accord. I, I, I mean, our singles group and our, and our teenagers, they're on fire for God. And they began to worship the Lord and just began to yield to the Holy Spirit. And some were dancing and some were crying and they were just worshiping God. Teenagers started getting healed. All Oh, my, my daughter-in-law, is she and her and my son are the youth leaders. She told me the next day, she said, people started getting healed, teenagers of all kinds of things. Nobody prayed for them. Nobody laid hands on them. They weren't even, it wasn't even a healing service. Nobody was talking about healing. And they started being healed. This one man, now he's, Blake is, a, is college now. Is he like second year? One year. He's one year out of high school, a college student. He was there, and in some kind of a game on, on Saturday, he had sprained his ankle. You know, a sprain can be harder to, to get healed than a break sometimes. And his ankle was sprained so bad, it was swollen, huge. Uh, Amy said it was like this big around, had a big old knot on it. He could not put weight on that. When he was in that service, and the glory of God moved in there, and they started dancing in the Spirit, he was instantly healed of that sprained an ankle, he came to church Sunday night, which is the next night in our service, and took off, this, they got and testified, and when he started testifying, the, the power of God hit him. He took off and ran around that church. He didn't have the slightest limp. He was totally healed just by God's, it was a miracle really that happened in the presence of the Lord. Oh, glory to God. God wants that. God wants that. That's, what, that's where we're going church. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And, and we're not there yet. My church isn't there yet fully. I mean, I, you know, we don't have these things happen all the time, but I'm believing for them, you know, because God's doing great things. 
Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to stop with that. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's just stand up. Lift our voices to Him and just thank Him for His goodness. Oh, Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for salvation. We're so grateful for Your Holy Spirit. We're so grateful for Your plan for our lives. You've changed our lives. You've taken us out of darkness. You've delivered us. You've brought us into the light. We're not like we were. We're not like what we will be, but we're not like we were. Oh, Father, such deliverance, such deliverance in our lives. We're so grateful, Father. Oh, we're so grateful for salvation. We're so grateful, Father, that you, that you loved us enough that you sent your Son to die on a cross to redeem us, to purchase us back, to purchase us back and put us back into your family where we belong, Father. Oh, we're so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God, Father. Oh, we long to be filled. We long to be filled with your Spirit. We long to be taken up in the power of the Holy Ghost and be fully yielded to you. Help us, Father. Help us to move into a place, Lord, and to learn how to, to, to more easily and more readily move into the fullness of your Spirit, to be completely submitted, to completely be completely under your, under your control as much as is possible. Oh, Father, we know it's a process. And we know it's not something we can just will to do. It's, it's, it's your grace. Father, we, we don't have anything, not one thing we have in our life that's apart from the grace of God. Even, even the ability to exercise faith is because of your grace. You've graced us enough, Father, to give us faith to, to be saved. You grace us, Father, to have understanding of your scriptures, to have revelation knowledge, to know the Lord Jesus Christ in intimacy, to know your heart, Father, that we might know you and the power of your resurrection, being, being yielded and, 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 and conformed to, to, to the sufferings of Christ. Oh, glory to God. Oh, it takes your grace to do this. It takes your grace, Father. And that's what we're, we're asking, Lord, that there's, there's more grace. But more grace can be given. More grace can be given, Father. Glory to God to enable us to be the church where your glory dwells to be the, the habitation of your glory. Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Father. We worship you, Father. We worship you, Father. Yield yourself to me. Purpose in your heart to love what I love. <clears throat> to yield on to your spirit when I move upon you. And those gentle presentations, those gentle promptings. Just purpose in your heart to be quick to respond to the leading of the Lord. And I will take you on. I will take you up. I will take you further than even what you can imagine today. I will take up you up into my presence and I'll fulfill the, the desires of your heart. I will uh, open my heart to you to reveal things to you that you don't know, that other people won't know, and I'll just show you your plan. And it'll be unfolded before you in the degree that you can walk where I walk, walk the way I walk and live how I live, says the Lord. And it's all in submission to me, being yielded, 
learning to yield, being quick to yield to the Spirit. And I'll take you on, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, that's, that's really what he did. That day in, in 1983, he took me on. I just yielded just a little bit, just a little bit. My heart was to yield completely, but it was just a little tiny prompting. I didn't feel like doing anything great. And the Lord took me on. He just took me on, took me into another place. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love to praise you. We love to glorify you and honor you. The sacrifice of praise is a beautiful thing for us. It's not, it's not a challenge. Oh, Father, we love to offer up the sacrifices of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father.